Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord, our, our passage of Scripture tonight comes from Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the uh, first ten verses there. Those words are found in your worship packets. Please uh, follow along with me as we uh, focus our attention here and read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind, the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to end our reading of God's holy word this evening. Well, saints of God, it's become fairly evident, I think, to just about every one of us that our society has become an image-based society. We look around us uh, almost all the time, we see that people are in love with capturing their lives, capturing the memories and the special events of their lives in film or in the image. We see people all around us taking selfies and in fact, the number of deaths, selfie-related deaths, people falling off cliffs and into uh, ditches and things like that, are up higher than ever before. We're an image-based society. Many of us have to delete photos and videos off of our phones from time to time just to free up some space. A lot of people like to take photos because it shows the, the progress of their lives. People, for example, who are trying to get in shape uh, are often taking pictures, maybe a, a picture diary of their progress so they can see how well they're doing on their diet, how well they're doing at reaching their fitness goals. Once they put those pictures, the before and after pictures side by side, they, they see just how successful or unsuccessful they've been at, at losing weight. And, and really it's only once they do that, put those two pictures together and see the contrast of their former life and how they are now, that they see just how far they've come. Well, in many ways, that's what the Apostle Paul's plea to the church of the Ephesians is. He wants them to remember who they once were, how far they've come. Just a, a few verses beyond our passage tonight, we read in verse 11, he says to the, the Gentile Christians, he says, therefore remember 
that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul could hardly paint a more serious picture for his Gentile audience. They were dead in sin. They were captive to the power of Satan. They were children of wrath. They had no hope in the world whatsoever. That's who they were. There isn't a more serious condition or frightening circumstance than that. And yet it's that reality that makes the good news that follows so especially wonderful and good. As Paul says in verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once off, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, Paul reminds the Christians about the mighty change that Christ has brought about in their lives. They were at one time spiritually dead, but God, out of his great kindness, out of his, his mercy, raised and exalted them together with Christ Jesus. And so in this passage, we read two of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. But God. But God. Your saints, we also need to take to heart what the Apostle Paul says to these Gentile Christians. We need to remember who we were. We mustn't forget how desperately we are in need of a Savior. Because it's only when we see just how far God has brought us how great a contrast there is between our former way of life when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and between who we are, were then and how we are now, who we are now in Christ, together with Him, living in the heavenly places, exalted with Him. It's only when we see that contrast that we can possibly live in the light of the joy of our salvation, that joy that the Gospel gives us. It's only then that we can truly cherish Jesus Christ as our Savior. So I want to look at our passage tonight in such a way as to highlight that beautiful contrast that the Apostle Paul makes between our former life apart from Christ and our new life in Christ. And so we're going to compare, first of all, verse 3 with verse 7 and see that we were by nature children of wrath, but now we are the recipients of God's immeasurable kindness. Secondly, we're going to compare verse 2 with verse 6. We were enslaved by the spirit of this age, Satan himself. But God rescued us to sit with him, with Christ in heaven in perfect freedom. And finally, we're going to compare verse 1 with verse 5. We were dead in sin, but God gave us new life in Christ. And all of these things, all of these wonderful gospel realities are held together by verse 4. God is rich in mercy. From wrath to kindness, from captivity to freedom, from death to life. First of all, from wrath to kindness. Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, concludes with a very foreboding message. Very serious message. And it's this, that you and I were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Unlike the message of our world, our culture, which says if you scratch somebody deep enough and hard enough, 
you'll basically find a good person. That we're all basically good at heart, but perhaps we are misguided by the negative influences around us. That's not the message of Scripture. That's not what the, uh, not the picture that the Apostle Paul paints of our human nature. No, Paul leaves no doubt about the seriousness of our natural condition, the very nature that you and I have from birth, from conception on. Paul says it is sons and daughters of Adam, who is our fallen covenant representative. We are born into a fallen state of existence from conception, long before we could even understand what it meant to rebel against God. From conception itself, we are worthy of God's condemnation of wrath. In fact, David in Psalm 51 makes this abundantly clear. He says, Behold, I was brought forth. I came into this world in iniquity, in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. I was born this way. Pop star Lady Gaga, if you've never heard of her, uh, you're not missing anything at all. Uh, Lady Gaga sings a song called Born This Way. And it's the ultimate be yourself song. Don't let anybody tell you who to be song. Do whatever you want song. But there's a deep irony, really, in that song. Yes, we are all born a certain way. But it's precisely because we are born in sin because we are born in corruption, that we aren't free to do and to be whatever we want. We aren't free to worship and serve God, who, the God who created us. We aren't free to live fruitful and productive lives, because by nature, by birth, we are bound, we are in captivity, we are chained to our sin nature. Not only are we enslaved to sin by nature, Paul says we're also condemned on account of that sin nature. All of Scripture teaches us that our God is a holy God. He's righteous through and through. That means that He cannot stand quietly by when the people that He created to serve and to love Him act unrighteously, rebel against His law, disdain His mercy and His kindness. He must act according to His nature. He must act righteously. He must act justly by punishing sin, not only now, but on the final day of judgment. And so in Colossians 3, 5, and 6, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming on account of the sins of the natural man who lives according to the sins of the flesh. Paul says, that's who you were. That's who you were. Children of wrath, sinful, born in iniquity. But God. But God. In the midst of our hopelessness, in the midst of our condemnation, God Himself stepped in. He mercifully intervened and He radically transformed our lives, radically transformed our circumstances. God intervened by fulfilling an ancient promise, an ancient merciful promise to His church that to those who trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, God commits Himself to the great purpose that He ordained from all eternity. Verse 7, that in the coming ages, 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. You see, the good news is that God's settled purpose for all eternity was to be abundantly gracious and kind to those who are his, to those who are in Jesus Christ, who were once objects of wrath and condemnation, but now are the recipients of his abounding grace and favor in Jesus. Paul, you see, he can't hold back in talking about how marvelous this great kindness of God is towards us in Jesus Christ. He says here, it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. And we don't typically experience things in daily life that are immeasurable. Most things in life can be quantified. They can be counted. Miles to our next destination. Rising gas prices. Pounds gained or lost during the year. But Paul says that the riches of God's love lavished upon us in Jesus Christ is so great, it's so immeasurable, it will take all of eternity just to begin to fathom it. That's how great it is. As those who have been saved from wrath and condemnation, we will never plumb the depths. We will never adequately comprehend the riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Jesus, you see how necessary it is for us to see this contrast. This great shift that God has worked in your life. You were once objects of wrath, condemnation. But now you're the, the recipients of his immeasurable grace and kindness. You see how we need to see this, this contrast so that we can adequately cherish our Savior? Indeed, it's only the person who grasps something of the greatness of God's wrath and his holiness that can possibly understand even an ounce of the greatness of his mercy. And the opposite is also true. It's only the person who has experienced the greatness of God's kindness and mercy in Jesus that can possibly understand a fraction of how great God's holy wrath must be that he would give his own son to pay for us. Knowing ourselves to be great sinners, in other words. It's utterly necessary to know the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, in verse 2, we learn more about the seriousness of our condition apart from Christ. Paul says that the Christians to whom he writes once walked in a certain way of life. They followed the course of this world. They followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says that those who are outside of Christ are not just captive to the bondage of their sinful nature. They're not just captive to this present evil age and the corrupting influence of those around us. Those who are currently outside of Christ are also motivated. They are empowered by personal evil forces. Unbelievers are captive to an evil power that is hostile to the rulership, the kingship of Jesus Christ. They are captive at present to Satan himself. The Bible often speaks about this ongoing spiritual warfare that is constantly being waged around us that has a direct influence on us. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, 
For we do not wrestle, we do not do battle against flesh and blood. We are not battling mere human armies. But we are wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the nature of the battle that is going on right now. And Paul says, Satan and his minions, Satan and his allies are at work within the hearts of those who are disobedient. And the signs of that work are clear. They're easy to see. Those ruled by Satan reject the gospel at present. They care less about following God's will. It's not to say that all unbelievers are demon-possessed. But everyone separated from God is outside of Christ. Everyone separated from God live in a kingdom of darkness and, and, and death in which Satan holds temporary sway. You mustn't forget, Satan is defeated, but he is still active. And Paul says again to the Christians, he says to you and I tonight, this is who you were. That's who you were. You were captive to the devil's power. You lived in a kingdom entirely separated from God, in darkness, in fear, and ultimately in death. That's who you were. That's the world that you occupied. You were at home in the spirit of this age. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy and kindness, verse 6 raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we belong to a kingdom of darkness and death, God once again stepped in and He stepped in powerfully to change our address permanently. Once we were captive to Satan and sin, once we lived willingly in a kingdom of tyranny and darkness, but now God has raised us up. He's pulled us out of that muck and that mire and that death and He has seated us with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's given us a new home, a new dwelling place, a new address, and that address is the heavenly places with Jesus. You see, God in His mercy and grace, He binds our destiny with the destiny of Jesus Christ. So that we have been included in everything that Christ has experienced. We are bound with Christ in His resurrection, in His ascension, and in His exaltation to heaven. What God did for Christ by raising Him from the dead, seating Him in a position of ultimate authority and power, God did that for us too. And so we don't just simply follow on Jesus' coattails. We are included along with Him. We are bound together with Him in His journey of exaltation and glory in the heavenly places. Paul says something here remarkable. He says that, that our resurrection as believers has already taken place. In Colossians 1.13, he says, God has delivered us. It's already done. It's finished. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We, we hear that and we might say, well, how is that possible? How is that possible? I, I feel very much a member of this earth. Every morning I wake up and I'm uh, bluntly reminded that I still don't have my resurrection body. So how is it that I'm already delivered and transferred to the kingdom of his son? Yes, it's true. We are not yet physically raised. We still dwell in our old bodies. But we are by faith. And because of our union with Jesus Christ, already raised from the dead and seated with Christ in glory. Because we are identified with Christ, united with Him in His resurrection and His exaltation, we too, like Jesus, have been given a new position of authority and superiority over evil powers, over Satan himself. We've truly changed our address. We no longer live under the tyranny of the devil, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We no longer follow Satan's ways. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is now ours. As we seek to obey God and resist the devil, even as we look forward to Christ's second coming and the reality, the full reality of all of these promises. See, because of God's mercy, we're now free from captivity. Free from the spirit of this age, we have a new home. And that has great implications for how we live our lives. In Colossians 3, 1 through 3, Paul says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, another way of understanding this is, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, as those who have been raised up from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, rescued from captivity, now it's heaven, heaven that holds our affection. It's now heaven that captures our longings and our desires. It's heaven that determines what we, what we love and what we have a taste for. We may live in this world, but this world cannot satisfy us. We're exiles here. We're foreigners here. We're just passing through because heaven is our final resting place, our permanent address. That's the great change that God has worked in our lives. Once we were captive to the wicked spiritual power of Satan, but God has rescued us. He's transported us to heaven. He's freed us from Satan's tyranny. Well, finally, we look at verse 1 of our passage and we find what is certainly the gravest description, the most serious description of our, of our life before Christ. Here Paul says, and you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's often said that nothing is certain but death and taxes. Well, that's debatable. But one thing is certain. For the unbeliever, nothing is more permanent. Nothing is more final. Nothing is more hopeless 
than death. Physical death, then, is the picture that Paul uses right here to describe our human spiritual condition apart from Christ. He says that while we lived in sin, we were spiritually powerless. We were spiritually incapacitated. We were like that person who drowned, is floating at the top of the pool, face down. There's no life in his body, no oxygen in his lungs. Spiritually incapacitated. Paul says that the corruption of sin in our lives was so great that we had no spiritual inclination towards God at all. We lacked all spiritual good. We were totally alienated from God. The Apostle Paul in Romans says this, there is no one righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If God is the lifeline, if He is the source of renewal and new life, then by nature we are not going to reach out for Him anytime soon. We are spiritually incapable of seeking after God by nature. That's who we were, dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, but God, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Out of His immeasurable love, out of His mercy and His kindness, God stepped in. He breathed new life into our dead souls. He recreated our, our fleshly hearts. And He gave us new hearts for Him. By the gift of faith, God united us to Christ. And again, as we saw earlier, He links our destiny to His. He makes us alive together with Christ. So we share in the new life that he received when he rose from the dead. We are united to him by faith. For us, death, physical death, and spiritual death are vanquished. They're no longer a threat to us. And the life that we enjoy now is part of the new creation that is still to come. And all of this Paul emphasizes. Is by the grace of God alone. Paul, you notice he's so amazed at the grace of God that is the source of all of this that he has to interject. He can't quite finish his sentence. He has to interject in verse 5 with this wonderful notation, by grace you have been saved. He picks that theme up again in verse 8. And he shows us that God's grace is at the core of this life-altering change that he has brought about our lives. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Reminded, brothers and sisters, that all of these life-altering changes that God has made in our lives remind us that it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about human effort. It's not about human goodness. It's all about the initiative of God. It's all about His patience. It's 
all about his abundant love, his immeasurable grace and kindness to us in Christ. It's all about the greatness of our Savior. We need to learn to cherish again and again, more and more each day. Paul's glorious message this evening, brothers and sisters, is that God in Christ has utterly changed the direction of your life. Once you were dead, but now you are alive. Once you were captive to Satan himself, but now you're free. You're free. Once you were utterly condemned on account of your sin, you were an object of God's wrath. But now you are the object of his overflowing mercy and kindness. And so now I urge you, Christ urges you to trust him. Trust your Savior. Trust him with your sin. Trust him with your sin when the devil knocks on the door of your conscience and says, oh, you're too great of a sinner. God's salvation could never be for you. You say, get behind me, Satan. You are not the victor. With God, all things are possible. Trust Him with your sin. Trust Him with your life, with your relationships, with your job, with your health, with your finances. Trust Him. That He who has done all for you in Jesus Christ will certainly meet your lesser needs, your earthly needs. Trust Him with your sanctification. Sometimes we become very frustrated with our lack of growth and holiness. The slow, slowness of the process. But look at the promise here in verse 10. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were saved unto good works. What Christ has begun in us by His Holy Spirit, He will certainly complete. Trust Him with your future. Because God and can, God can and will meet all of your needs. Because He's the God who raises the dead. He's the God who frees the captives. He's the God who blesses beyond measure all who trust in Him. Amen. Our gracious God, we are amazed, we, are, we marvel at the wonderful work that you have accomplished on our behalf through your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We look at this passage and are reminded of who we were, dead and trespasses and sins. We were under the control of the evil one at home in this world, according to the spirit of the age, without hope outside the family of God, worthy of your wrath and condemnation. That's who we were. That's who we are by nature. And yet you, O oh God, are full of mercy and kindness and grace in Jesus Christ. And you have met all of our needs in Him. You've given us new life and the ability to live it for you. You've given us a new home, the heavenly places where we will dwell eternally with you and your saints. Lord, you have given us the freedom to live our lives for your glory and praise. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to trust you more and more. 
As we marvel day by day at the wonderful grace of God, may we trust you for our lives, for our future, for our sanctification, even trust you for the forgiveness of our sins. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this glorious good news that assures our hearts that we are children of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.